Grace and peace and welcome to Cokesbury United Methodist Church here in Woodbridge, Virginia. My name is Taylor Mertens and I serve as the pastor here at the church and I am remarkably grateful that you have decided to join us for worship today, whether you're joining us on Facebook or on YouTube. We are in the midst of a sermon series that's not in the Bible. Today we're looking at God said it, I believe it, and that settles it, an expression that is not in scripture and is one perhaps that we shouldn't be using as Christians. Uh, next week will be the end of our series. That's not in the Bible with love the sinner, hate the sin. Uh, today we have an online bulletin that you can use for the service. It includes our scripture, hymn, uh, prayers, all those sorts of things. There are a number of things that are going on in the life of our congregation. We continue to send out email devotionals every week and we're going to continue to offer online worship until it's safe and healthy and faithful for us to gather for in-person worship. Uh, this week, we're restarting our food distribution ministry. We uh, partner with a few other area churches. And once a month, we gather in our parking lot. That's gonna be happening this Thursday in our parking lot. We still need volunteers to help uh, bag the food and hand it uh, to people in their cars on their way through the parking lot in a way that's both safe, safe and healthy. If that's something you can help with, uh, send a message through the uh, church Facebook page or call the church, check the church website, any way that you can get in touch with the church, and we'll uh, set you up with our volunteers to make that happen. With that, because we cannot gather together for in-person worship, we are going to, in some ways, gather together for worship a week from today on Sunday, August 30th at 4 o'clock Sunday afternoon for a drive-in service of word and sacrament. So at 4 o'clock a week from today in the parking lot, we're going to be gathering together Everyone has to remain in their cars. There's going to be a lot of rules involved, but we're going to have a short service, maybe 20 minutes long, prayers, scripture, a brief, hom brief homily, and then communion. We have these uh, safe and sterile ways to uh, share communion with one another. That's going to happen. It's something we haven't been able to do in five months. Uh, if you're at all interested, check um, the church website and look in your email. We're going to be sending out instructions for what that will look like. Uh, probably today, and we want to have as many people as possible, but of course we want it to stay safe, so check your email so that you can find out how this is going to work and what it's going to look like. I want to share with you a brief story because today, of course, we're talking about God said it. I believe it. That settles it. When I first moved here to Woodbridge, we had a moving company help us move from Stanton to Woodbridge, and I worked with these gentlemen all day long, getting the stuff out of our old house and moving it into our new house. And of course, they quickly figured out, even though I was wearing, you know, 
like a tank top and shorts that I was a pastor because they were moving all these theology books along with me. And one of them, one of the gentlemen who was working on the truck looked at his friends and looked at me and said, so you are a preacher, right? And I said, yeah, on Sundays at least. And he said, well, can you, can you square something up for me, my friends? Will you please tell them that the earth is flat? And I said, excuse me? He said, you know, because in Genesis, it tells us that, that the earth is flat. And I, I'm a Christian. Now, I believe every single word in the Bible, literally. And I've been trying to tell my friends the earth is flat, and they don't believe me. And I said, oh, okay, so you want me to tell your friends that they're wrong because they believe the earth is round. And he said, yes. And I noticed on his arm a tattoo. I said, oh, well, you know, it's kind of strange for you to say that you believe in every word of the Bible literally because in Leviticus, it says you aren't allowed to have a tattoo on your body. And he said, oh, well, well, that's, that's not in the Bible. And I said, oh, it, it most assuredly is. And he said, so what does that mean? I said, well, either you've got to get rid of that tattoo or the Bible's a little different than we've been treating it. I think about that a lot because we, we all come to the Bible and we sort of pick and choose these verses that we like and we use them against other people. And that's just wildly problematic, particularly in a Christian community. So today we are going to talk about why saying something like, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, is problematic for us today because the Bible it's alive. It's not some dead text that we get to use against other people. It's alive, and it's still speaking to us even today. So with that, I encourage you to perhaps close your eyes, find a comfortable posture for a moment as we continue to worship God uh, through a moment of silence. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful, wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Likewise, Lord, we now lift up to you, silently or aloud, our own joys and concerns we have this day. And as you taught us, Lord, we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians 14, 32 through 35. I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. This is 1 Corinthians 14, 32 through 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace, 
as in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Here endeth the reading. Our hymn today is number 369 in the United Methodist Hymnal, Blessed Assurance. The words for the hymn are available on the online bulletin. We get to now go over to the drums and the piano where Gloria Baltimore and I recorded this song a few weeks ago. So join us in singing uh, Blessed Assurance. This is my story and this is my song.
as in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. Would you please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Friends, we, the church, have been breaking one of God's laws, and it's high time for us to atone for our sin. Frankly, I can't believe we've been so brazenly wanton uh, to keep going on like this, but I guess we've been perhaps drunk on our own self-righteousness to do much of anything about it. Today, I, as the pastor, I'm going to get us all squared away so that we can get back on God's good side. We need to destroy all of the church bathrooms. It's as clear as day in Scripture, and if God says it, well, then it's settled. Now, I'm sure some of you are wondering, what is Taylor going on about talking about church bathrooms at a time like this? We haven't even used the church bathrooms in five months. Well, some of you are wondering, what, what kind of Bible has he been reading? Deuteronomy 23, verses 12 through 14, a paraphrase. You shall have an area outside the camp for you to take care of your bathroom business. Make sure you bring a shovel with you, and when you relieve yourself outside, cover up your excrement. God is with you to save you from your enemies. Therefore, your place of worship must be holy, so that God may not see anything indecent among you. The word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Look it up sometime. Deuteronomy 23, 12 through 14. So after prayerful consideration, Whenever we do reopen for in-person worship, we will no longer have bathrooms in our church building. We will, however, endeavor to construct some outhouses just on the edge of our property for excrement disposal. Here endeth the sermon. Just kidding. Have you ever read that passage from Deuteronomy before? Have you ever heard someone preach on it? Chances are you haven't. But in the 1880s, here in the U.S., churches and bathrooms were quite the topic of theological debate. The advent of indoor plumbing had arrived, and the question about whether or not to have bathrooms in churches started to pop up. Seriously, there are sermons from this time that we can read and see what people were saying. For some, the Old Testament rules about the Israelite encampments were just as valid for churches as they were for God's wandering people. Therefore, some preachers stood in their pulpits nearly more than 100 years ago to fight against the growing trend of bathrooms in churches. Today, of course, when designing a a new church, one of the first questions isn't what the sanctuary should look like or what kind of design the altar should have or even how many people can fit inside, but how many bathrooms there should be and where they should be placed. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. It's a rather common refrain among Christian types, and it can appear in different ways. The Bible is clear about this, is another, and just as we've got to follow the Bible on this. You know, years ago, in a Bible study, we were going through the appointed text for the day, whatever it was, when a woman interrupted the conversation with her own personal dilemma. She told us that her son had come home recently with a tattoo on his arm, and she was completely and utterly devastated. And I, being the young and naive clergy person that I was, and still am, I said something like, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world, it's, it's just a tattoo. 
To which she replied, if God says it's not allowed in the Bible, then the issue has been settled forever. Now, I should have stopped right then and there. I should have moved the conversation to another place, but I couldn't help myself. And I said, oh, so you don't eat pork or shrimp or cheeseburgers, and you're telling us about your son and how he disrespected you so that you can get all of us to come with you and stone him to death on the edge of town today. And you didn't mean to wear those earrings today because you know the Bible forbids them as well. And for that matter, that polyester jacket you're wearing, it's also off limits, as is your husband's clean-shaven face. Do you want me to keep going? I repent, O Lord, for my deeply unchristian Bible study behavior. You know, this sort of biblical literalism is wildly problematic and basically it's impossible. If we strive to live by the word with extreme rigidity, we would not be able to wear blended fabrics or sow two different kinds of seeds in one garden. Children who curse their parents would be put to death. And if you mowed your lawn today on Sunday afternoon, then you would be put to death as well. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. It's one of those trite and cliche Christianisms that often float around in our conversations. When we get into debates and arguments over particular biblical concepts like prohibitions against tattoos or watching movies or reading books about wizards or any number of things, someone is likely to take a verse out of context and use it like a bludgeon against the person they disagree with. Because, you know, if God said it, then it's settled, right? Or maybe there's a little more to the Bible than we've been treating it. Today, as I already noted, no one is worrying about whether or not to build a church with a bathroom. We don't hear preachers belittle the men in their congregations for trimming their beards. And we all, every one of us, we all neglect to adhere to certain passages, all the while holding other passages over the heads of others. The Bible is full of all sorts of rules and all sorts of regulations, and we pick and choose what we want according to our own proclivities. Our passage today comes from Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, and he drops this line on the dozing Corinthians that makes some of us cringe today. Women should be silent in churches. This is, of course, a line from the Bible that we willfully ignore and disobey regularly. Back in the days when we actually gathered for church in person, do you remember when we used to do that? We regularly had female liturgists here at Cokesbury who stood, and they read God's word for us. We've had at least three guest preachers in the last three years, all of whom were women. And that's to say nothing of the fact that we've had so many different women lead us in congregational singing. However, there are churches today who believe the language regarding the supposed subordination of women is the gospel truth. In those churches, women are not allowed to serve in leadership positions, they're not allowed to teach Bible studies when men are present, and they're not allowed to do anything that would ever require them to speak in front of the gathered congregation. Which, to be honest, is rather strange, even from a biblical standpoint. Paul certainly offers his opinion here in 1 Corinthians, and he actually says something very similar in other letters as well, but... The New Testament is filled with other examples that completely contradict Paul's words. Women in other parts of the New Testament are noted as prophets, evangelists, apostles, 
Paul even refers to Judea and Syntyche as co-workers with him who struggled in the ministry of the gospel. Aquila taught the ways of God among the earliest Christians, and that's not even mentioning the fact that without female preachers, none of us would have heard about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Contrary to this verse in question from Paul today, the gospel, good news in a world drowning in bad news, the gospel radically altered the position of women, elevating them to partnership with men that was unparalleled in the first century. But the church as a whole struggled with it then, and we still certainly struggle with it now 2,000 years later. We've been very slow to embrace the New Testament's vision of mutuality among people regardless of distinctions. Even within the New Testament itself, there is this vacillation between things not yet seen and keeping things the way they are. It's a dance. It's the movement of going back and forth that really stands at the heart and at the center of a statement like, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Like the many disciples and apostles before us, we read the scriptures. We hear God speaking to us today, but we're not just passive recipients of what it says and then lift it up like it's a weapon to be used against others. We ask questions of the text. We pray for the wisdom and the guidance to discern what it is speaking about and to and into our lives today. We wrestle with the text. And then, in community, we do the hard work of interpretation. Paul might have something to say about women being silent in church, but many of us would simply not be Christians unless women were brave enough to stand and speak in churches. The Bible might have more than 200 verses in favor of slavery, but we recognize that slavery is incompatible with God's kingdom here on earth. We might read about doing our business outside the boundary of God's holiness, but we don't build churches without bathrooms. The best way to do the work of interpretation is to be the disciples Jesus has already called us to be, which is to say, in short, we follow Jesus' example. Contrary to how we might imagine the Lord in Scripture, Jesus did not adhere to the strict biblical literalism that is found in some churches today. Jesus He had wildly different views, ideas, interpretations of things like Sabbath observance. He had stronger opinions about divorce and adultery. He regularly violated the laws of the Old Testament by eating with those deemed unclean. Living as a Christian today is all about developing a lens by which we can encounter the strange new world of the Bible and that we can then proclaim it for a time and a place such as ours. Even the Bibles that we turn to are themselves works of interpretation. Someone, and more often than not some people, made particular choices about how to translate particular words from the original Hebrew and the original Greek into, for us, English. This might not seem like that much of a big deal, but the words we use can make a lot of difference. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. That's how the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible renders John 3.16, easily one of the most well-known verses in the entirety of the scriptures. But what many of us do not know is that the word for perish, in Greek it's apolumi, and it can mean perish, but it can also mean to die, to be destroyed, to be lost, to be killed, or to be ruined. 
Now, each of those different translations can change the meaning of the text in ways both small and large, and they're all products of interpretation. Therefore, whenever we take up a Bible, whenever we flip to a particular passage, the work of our interpretation, it started long before our eyes ever flow over the words. And to make it all the more challenging, even the best translations leave us to continue the work of interpretation today. So how do we do it? Well, we don't do it in isolation. We don't read our Bibles all by our lonesome and decide we know exactly what God is saying. We don't listen to one sermon and decide that's the end-all, be-all on the particular subject. We interpret God's Word in, in community. We read from commentaries on Scripture from those who came before us. We engage in Bible studies where, like iron sharpens iron, we come to know more than we would on our own. We send emails to our friends, to our pastor with questions so that we can come closer to the strange new world of the Bible. And we let Jesus help us interpret. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As God's definitive Word, Jesus helps us understand the words within the Word. Because we read from both the Old and the New Testaments through the lens of Christ. And then we can do the hard and good work of wrestling with how these words speak, even to us today. But that work, it requires a whole lot more than God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. For someone who says the Bible is clear, the only thing that says is they actually haven't read the Bible. Because reading scripture, the work of interpretation, it is hard work. It calls us to become servants of the word rather than masters of the text. And frustratingly enough, that work, it never, ever ends. People have used God's holy word with understandings like God said it, I believe it, that settles it, to attack people and to belittle people for a very long time. It has been used to justify the horrific practices of slavery and racism. It has been used to subjugate and relegate women's rights. It has been used to rationalize physical violence and aggression toward those who do not believe what we believe. It has been used as a weapon over and over again. So today, we, the people of God, those who come to the text with fear and with trembling, witnessing to the fact that it gives us life, we repent. We repent for the ways in which we have used it not to give life, but to take life away. And we pray for the courage and the conviction with the Holy Spirit to join together and say, no more. No more to the use of Scripture like a weapon to oppress the weak and the marginalized. No more to the complacent Christianity that stands idly by as people are attacked for being exactly who they are. No more to the backward ways of the past that lose sight of God's grace here and now. No more to God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I love the strange new world of the Bible. I fell in love with it as a kid sitting between my parents in the pews on Sunday mornings. I still fall in love with it every time I take it up and read. And I think the thing I love most about the Bible is the fact that it's alive. It's not some dead book that demands to be kept into the past. It's alive, and it gives life. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That doesn't give life, that takes it away. But God's word is alive, 
It is ever-changing and ever-new. That's why we call it so good. So I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Grant, O merciful God, that your church, being gathered and constituted as it is in unity by your Holy Spirit, may show forth your power among all peoples to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. God has gathered us together. God has proclaimed God's word, and now we respond to what God has said. We respond by giving of ourselves uh, in ways big and small with our time, perhaps by coming to help distribute uh, food to those who need it this week, and in whatever way we see fit. But we also respond to what God has said with the giving of our tithes and our offerings. I encourage you to give to the ministries of Cokesbury United Methodist Church with glad and generous hearts. You may give by making an online donation. The link for doing so is in the video description. You may give by submitting a check through the mail to the church, or if you live locally, you can bring your offering to the church. We have a drop slot by the mailbox, by our main office doors. But give, give that we might continue to be a community of interpretation who helps not just ourselves, but others to know what God is saying to us today and how this book that is alive really does give us life. Another way that we respond is by affirming our faith using something like the Apostles' Creed. The words for the creed are found in the online bulletin. I encourage you now to join me together in affirming our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. During this time of not having in-person worship, I've also been thinking of other imaginative ways for us to respond to what God has said. So this week, I want us to continue to think about the work of interpretation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. So wrote Paul at the beginning of his letter to the church in Rome, and I, like Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel. It has radically transformed my life, but I confess sometimes I am a little embarrassed of certain passages in the Bible. Therefore, this week, in hopes of taking up the challenge and the hard work of interpretation, I am encouraging all of us to take time daily to read our Bibles to take them up and to read. It can be any part, any section we so choose of Scripture. But as we read, if we're at all confused, if we have any questions, let us write them down and then send those questions to others who might join us in this collaborative work of interpretation. If you know of no one to whom you can submit your questions, send them to me. Send them to me. You can find my email address. Uh, it'll be uh, with the online bulletin. You can fi find me on Facebook. I don't care how. Send me your questions, and I will do my best to respond to every person who writes to me this week. 
Because the word is alive. It is ever-changing. It is ever-new. It's what makes the good news good. And it is good and right for us to wrestle with the text, even today and this week. So with that, I'd like to now offer a blessing and benediction. May the God of grace and glory, God of the beginning and the end, the God of life and of death and of resurrection, help you to see, know, and believe that the word is alive, that it grows, it changes, it transforms, and it still speaks to you and to me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. I look forward to joining with you all again next week, same time, same place for That's Not in the Bible, Love the Sinner, Hate the Sin. Amen, and go in peace.